another Monday. And what an appropriate day of the week to be talking about hell. And here we are, hell part three. So make sure you listen to the first two parts. Is the Bible literal? Well, it's a loaded question. There are some aspects of it that are meant to be taken literally, but others, we understand that God is using language, human language, to illustrate something for which there is no word, no concept. And we, as we looked in part one, the people in ancient times had no need for numbers bigger than a thousand. And so they would maybe sometimes say thousands and thousands or tens of thousands and tens of thousands, but they, they just didn't need those numbers. They didn't need other words as well. And yet the words that they did use have changed meaning over time. I'm gonna assume that you've heard the first two and you're ready for this one. But to illustrate to you the non-literal language that had to be used. Think about this. Scripture says there are 12 gates to the city. The city of God. Book of Revelation. Do you believe that there are actual gates? The Bible says each one's carved out of a pearl. Do you believe that God created an everlasting heaven with oyster byproducts? Do you think that there, there are literal streets of gold? I even remember a story told, you may have heard it, it's been an old sermon story since, well, I would think probably a hundred years, where a, uh, a man is a rich man and he packs his bags for heaven and we're, he's told he can't get there, but somehow he gets there. And there he walks in and sets down these massive heavy trunks. And when he opens them, the angels lean in and see all the gold. And they say, why would you bring paving? Well, it was a very funny story, but there aren't literal gold. It's not, God doesn't make eternal things, and we're using eternal in our sense of the term, out of molecules and atoms and geology and oysters irritated insides. God has every right to do what he wants to do. In, in the Bible, uh, it says that if you're, you know, whatever heaven is, it's beautiful. And so John keeps throwing jewel names out at us. And if you've ever had to read in Bible class and you saw that whenever it came around to you, you had to read those jewels, your heart starts to do a little like this because we don't know how to pronounce half of them. And it, it, they're not made out of those. It's, it's a way of John is saying the colors, the brightness, the beauty. I think most of us get that, don't we? I think most of us do. And those gates, by the way, um, the Bible says that those gates never close. We're, we're moving. There are things going on. I, it seems that there may be some jobs for us to do. I don't know what they would be, but whatever they are, we're going to love it or it wouldn't be heaven, right? There, there are some who have seen beyond the curtain and they've actually seen some things going on. Paul talks about it very obliquely and he's talking about himself and he says, I, I know a man, whether alive or dead, I, I do not know who ascended up. And he says, I saw things it's not lawful for a man to talk about. Now, he was encouraging people to go to heaven, so he wasn't saying, run, don't go. What he saw was amazing, but he wasn't allowed to speak. And, and again, in the book of Revelation, John the Revelator is writing down what he's being told, and then something happens up there, and the angel reaches over and says, don't write that. And he's not allowed. 
there are, can we admit that there's a whole lot of mystery to the afterlife? I hope you can. I love the mystery. I don't need to be told. I don't need the details. I'm good. I'm good. God is a God of love. Jesus loves me. He's proven that by the cross. He, and he's also proven that he's powerful enough to save me by his resurrection. So I, I think God's got me. I'm, 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 I trust him completely to handle these things rightly. I've had people come to me and say, my mother is dead and she believed this. And my father or my grandfather was, I thought he's a great guy, but he believed this. And, you know, do you think there's any chance for them? God is a God of love. In fact, Jesus even used this illustration. Whenever he talked about fathers, if your child asks you for bread, would you give them a stone? You know, are, you, are you hard hearted and unkind to your children? Then he goes, how much more does your father in heaven love you than you are even able to love your children? The love of my children is overwhelming, absolutely overwhelming. I, I'm just blown away by my children and I'm blown away by my grandchildren. And the idea that God loves me more than I can ever love them, okay, I'll take that deal. But when it comes to the afterlife, this is gonna make some of you very uncomfortable. The Bible is not clear. I used to see the sermon illustrations that there was a film strip that was going around the day Christ came again. We would see that one and, and just be uh, scared to death, and, but we, we enjoyed being scared to death because we were pretty sure we were on the winning side. Uh, or there would be sheet sermons, ask your grandparents or great grandparents, where the guy would hit with a pointer and show all the illustrations about uh, exactly what's gonna happen first, second, third, and fourth. Problem is, when the world ends, time ends, and there's no first, second, third, or fourth, all of our terms about locus or location and um, time duration and order, none of that applies. And so it's a bit of a jumble. What's gonna happen after we die, where and when? But I trust Jesus and I would ask you to do the same. Now, because it's a bit of a jumble, people have come at it and they've read different verses and they come up with different opinions, different ideas. There, um, there are some that are called universalist and more about that later. But they look up, God promises have always, they would put it this way, God's promises must also be held beside his curses. Do not focus on the curses, look at the promises. For the same one who said, depart from me into everlasting fire, uh, the everlasting literally uh, in their language would be age-lasting. In other words, as long as it's necessary. Also says that all nations will be blessed through Abraham's seed and that all will be made right with God. All people will be made right with God. That is not the pipe dream of a few intellectual universalists sitting around in a paneled room somewhere. It is found in Genesis, and I'm just giving some here. So again, you're always able to pause and write these down and go find them. Genesis 12, three, Psalm 62, 12. I'm saying these slowly because my wife says I talk too fast. Psalm 67, four, Psalm 86 and verse nine, Psalm 145 and verse 21, Matthew 25, Verses 24 
and twin, um, I'm sorry, Matthew 25, 41 and 46. And we could multiply that number of scriptures by a rather large multiple. There is a theme in scripture that does say all, all, all. And yes, the curse, depart from me, must be held beside the promise, all. And the only way to reconcile this would be then, the universalist would say, that everlasting punishment is until the punishment is over. But you are not. You are restored and God keeps his promises. Universalists say that all of God's punishments must be understood in the light of his all-redeeming love. He is not willing that any should perish. What about his character? Think, well, have you read the Old Testament? Even after punishing Israel again and again and again and again, what did he do? He restored them again and again and again and again. And hold on, those of you that would you know, have a replacement theology that say, well, he used to like them, now he likes Christians. You really need to read your New Testament a lot more carefully. Paul in particular makes it very plain that those of us that are not Jews have been grafted onto the tree, the Jewish tree, God's chosen people. We are not, we are the adopted ones. We should not then therefore act like we are the superior. God has put us all into the same place. So God has never stopped blessing his people. That when I say Israel, please understand, I'm not talking about a political state, I'm talking about a people. Uh, I don't make political comments pro or against because that's not my job. No good soldier entangles himself with the world. I just want to talk about Jesus. So you just do your politics. But when we come to talking about the Jewish people, yes, the Old Testament, rejection, punishment, restoration, punishment, restoration, slavery, uh, uh, restoration. And God never stops that pattern. And if you read the book of Romans, and if you read the, first, the book of 1 Corinthians, you find once again, Paul constantly says, restoration, restoration. We miss it, because we hold the curses up, and we tried to look at the promises of God way down here, but only through the lens of the curses. Absolutely backwards, absolutely upside down. Genesis 12, three, Romans 4, 13, Hebrews 6, 7, James 4, 13, and that'll just give you a flavor of that. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God said that, Jesus said that. In Adam all died, but Paul said in Christ, all shall be made alive, but each in their own order. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, and Romans 5, 18. How many, how many people were affected by the sin of Adam? All. How many people will be made alive in Christ? All. Same word, same sentence. And we miss it. I don't know how. The Bible says that God will not cast away anyone forever. You may be cast away, but not forever. Lamentations, a short book, powerful book, hard book. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3, 31 through 32. Chapter 3, verses 31, 32. Hebrews 13 and verse 8. I've had people in my life say, you're denying scripture. I say, no, I'm reading it. Have a look. 
It is sown throughout there, beginning to end. He who taught us to love and forgive our enemies, how would he then not do the same with his? What hypocrisy. We are told to pray for those who use us despitefully, who speak against us, who sin against us. We are told to follow Stephen as he blessed and asked God to forgive the people that were stoning him to death, and Jesus who asked God to forgive the men who were nailing him to a tree. How dare we, therefore, how dare we say, then God is going to destroy 99.9% .9 of the planet and the people who lived on it and all of his enemies. And in fact, not just destroy them, he's going to have them burn, crying out in pain for all eternity. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's horrible. And it's not scriptural. In fact, a bunch more scriptures. You ready? I'm hoping you're wearing out your pausing thumb or button here. Matthew 5, 17. Mark 9, 42 through 49. Uh, Acts uh, 3, 21. All tongues will confess Christ. And all tongues will will rejoice in him, even though some might first need to be seasoned with fire. Does that mean literal fire? No, God is not burning up combustibles. It's a metaphor for something and we don't know what it is. But what we do know is according to these passages, it's very, very, very temporary. Eventually, the scripture says, all mankind will praise God. Uh, Psalm 22, I, you, the whole psalm, but 27, 28 would be good. Uh, psalm 64, verses 4 through 9. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10. There are so many like this. So, I, when these passages were read, we just ignored them. But whenever somebody made a mistake and paid attention and then asked the teacher when I was growing up, they would say, yes, yes. On the day of judgment, all people will bow and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God because they're gonna see the error of their ways before they're tossed into the pit. Um, what purpose would that fulfill? And why would God gloat over the enemies Finally all saying, well, you were right, before throwing them away to burn in pain for eternity. Does that make any sense? By the way, it doesn't make any sense. And non-Christians know this, and our doctrine of hell has driven away, I'm gonna go ahead and say the word millions, millions and millions of people from Jesus. Because who would want to follow a God that's more bloodthirsty than Thor, Loki, Zeus, or Apollo. Well, we, here's the good news. You don't have to. You can follow the true God, a God of love, who says all will be brought to faith and rejoicing in Jesus. Rejoicing, he uses a term. David prophesied that Israel's stumbling would not be forever in Psalm 62, I'm, I'm 69. In verse 22, 
Um, and Paul agreed that David was correct in Romans 11, but again, the whole chapter, but basically verses nine through 12 of Romans 11, that no, Israel would not stumble forever because God was going to hold them up. And using that stumbling, go look at Romans 14. Don't judge another, um, this servant of God who you think has fallen for he will be lifted up by God. He will be, it says so, Romans 14. Paul further says that Israel will be like one raised from the dead and that the first Israel is still considered holy by God, even though the Gentiles have come in. The first is still considered holy. His character ensures their salvation, even though there may be fire involved, not just with them, but with individual humans. There are other views of, uh, of the afterlife um, that do not include the salvation of every person, but we're gonna hold that until next week because we're at our time limit for a Monday morning message. I hope you're enjoying these. May God bless you. And remember, uh, just a friend of mine who is so concerned about hell, so terrified of hell, and I tried to answer him again and again. And finally, one day I put my arms around him and I said, brother, there's no need to fear for hell. You're not going. I love you too much to let you go there. And if I love you, my love is nothing compared to his. Take a deep breath, relax. God's got this. I'll see you next week.